we give our time, attention, and love. We enjoy sharing and following friends, family, colleagues, and inspirational leaders aligned with our passions and interests in a hyper-connected world. We're all about tribes. We join tribes that speak to us and align with our vibe. In Tribe Goals, we share time with key lifestyle and industry change makers as they share some of their inspirations, thinking, and flow with their communities. We'll see how they started and grew their tribe, as well as which they have joined and how that has fueled them. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, and we'll navigate our favorites in our show, Tribe Goals. Season 3 of Tribe Goals, my name is Paul Farkas, publisher and co-founder of Athleisure Media. On today's show, I catch up with hip-hop and cannabis legend Be Real and bring in the smoke, our 69th cover story of Athleisure Mac. We chat about the iconic Cypress Hill sound, writing Dr. Green Thumb, and his new solo album Tell You Something, produced by Scott Storch. We talk about being an artist, advocate, and activist for cannabis legislation, expanding his Dr. Green Thumb's dispensaries, in California and across the U.S., edibles, culinary, working out, on the road, and more. It's a great chat. You're in for a treat. Now's a good time for those little kids to put the earmuffs on due to some explicit content, but you're in for a ride. So in preparing for this interview, I was thinking back on all the times I listened to Cypress Hill, and it's amazing all the different emotions I was doing, like happy, sad, hanging out, chilling, it's just crazy. Um, how was it to, to produce music that hit all those different vibes? You know, there was times we were, you know, joyful, happy, you know, um, clowning around, you know, young men and stuff like that. Other times we were frustrated, angry, so I think we captured all those type of emotions and, and you know being that we're stoners we also come that way back stoner vibes so I think it was really organic because it was just we were being who we were and you know we just have, have to capture the vibes and just you know regular you know kids growing up in, in Los Angeles and you know sort of um, sort of being a bullhorn for these for these different vibes and, and, and these different situations and scenarios that we were living through and stuff like that that others uh, were living the same thing and, and could relate to. So I think that's why it, it you know, it, it had an impact the way that it did and, and uh, people felt, you know, everybody had some sort of feeling about what we were doing and I think that was that was uh, that was the connection, you know, that we touched on all those emotions that anyone has been through, you know. Yeah. I just thought back, like, you know, I could picture myself driving or just pre-game, partying, everything. It's just, it's it's really cool just to think back. I see you're going on tour with all these upcoming uh, festivals. How is it to be performing live in these COVID times? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting, um, uh, different because of the protocols and stuff like that. You know, you got to be safe and, and be responsible and also accountable. Um and at the same time, it's great because, I mean, you're, you're back in front of a crowd. Sure. Connection, getting a reaction from the music and the energy and all that stuff. And people have so much of that energy built up from the last two and a half years that they, you know, try to find any way of, of letting it go and, and uh, blowing off that steam. So um, I think this was helpful towards people trying to get that. 
at the same time, you know, at being an artist that, you know, gives a shit about people, it's also kind of scary because, I mean, you know, we're going to some of these places where we don't know what the mandates are in terms of venue policy and, you know, how protected are people going in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that, that is the one thing that, that concerns me. But in terms of uh, getting out there and, and playing in front of people and, and seeing that happiness, that, that crazy unbridled energy, I mean, yeah, that's it's definitely a great film. Yeah. So you have this new soul album, Tell You Something, produced by Scott Storch with all these great feature artists. Um, what went into the album and what made the sound and vibes about it? Well, you know, originally I wasn't um, planning to do a, a solo album. I had so much on my plate with my projects with Burner because him and I, you know, are constantly putting out albums together. Mm-hmm. Um, Cypress Hill, obviously, because we're working on, a, on on our next album, our last album, in fact. Um, and, and also had Prophets of Rage going, so I had so many things popping off, as well as uh, the group that I had with, with uh, Exhibit and this other cat named Demerick named the Serial Killers. So I just had so much on my plate, I didn't think, you know, trying to fit another project in was, was going to be conducive to my schedule and whatnot. But we were doing um, one of my Smokebox interviews. Um, it's uh, an interview in a Cadillac in one, in one of my lowrider cars and uh, us smoking out, boxing out the car and just having a conversation. Not necessarily an interview, but he was, Scott Storch was down at my studio for this and, uh, you know, as many artists do, we're like, oh, we should do something. And we've known each other a long time and our lineage dates back to Philly, way back when mm-hmm. he was it, when he was an intern at Rough House Music, which was the label we were first signed to. You know, so we, we go way back and we talked about it and you know, when artists do that, sometimes, you know, they have full intention of, of working together and other times they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Scott was not full of shit. He hit me up. He was like, hey, man, why don't you come down and vibe out? And all the sessions that we had were vibe outs. Like, he never had one beat ready, you know, like a folder. Like, that, that's how it is these days. Producers will give you folders of beats and then you pick them. With Scott and I, you know, I went to his house every day. We had a session, and we vibed out, smoked out, and thought, okay, if we were here, what would the vibe be like? And he'd sort of tinker with stuff, and then and then we'd get ideas from that, and then we just built each song based upon, you know, the vibe and that idea and whatnot. So it, it, it was really organic the way that it came out, man. Every song was written and, and produced from scratch. Um, and I haven't had an idea like this, and we haven't had, you know, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to work on an album exactly like that in a long time. I mean, the last like the Phil album, Elephant on Acid, was sort of like that. You know, we've always worked like that. We never really worked with you know, take these beats and all that. I mean, you know, a couple of times we might have done that, but primarily our vibe is let's go in the studio and create it from scratch and 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 see what the vibe is and. You know, so it was refreshing to get back to that sort of thing in a world of, you know, folder transfers and file transfers and shit like that. You know, it, it just felt good to be in, in the studio being produced by by the producer. Very cool. Uh, it, you know, it was, it, it, it's, a, it's a very different sound for me in terms of what people are used to hearing me on with as it relates to hardcore hip-hop with Cypress Hill and serial killers and stuff like that. The stuff I do with Burner is close. 
Yeah, sometimes it feels like life goes so fast and sometimes it's like paint drying, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, because when I had this, when we were working on this album, I had all this other stuff scheduled out and, you know, it pretty much had to wait before I knocked all that schedule down before I could actually put it, put it out there. Mm-hmm. So you had some great collabs with it around 420 this year. It was cool to see that you gave a download of Mother Mary and then did some NFTs around it. Tell me about how it is to be in the uh, intersection of music, cannabis, and technology around those type of things. Well, it's cool, you know, being, being in the position that we're in um, in terms of all, all three of, of, you know, those platforms. Um, you know, we're just trying to stay ahead and, and uh, keep pace with what we want to do in terms of our growth in the cannabis industry and, and maintain our position in the music industry and, you know, forge forward in, in technology because, I mean, that's, that's where it all, it, it's all going, whether it's, it's relating to music or whether it's relating to cannabis, you know, a lot technology has a lot to do with both worlds right now. Back in 91, you dropped Stone is the Way to Walk, debut album. I had never heard something like that before. And then Black Sunday with hits from the bong, Legalize It, I Want to Get High. What was the process in putting out those benefits of cannabis and the liner notes and starting to champion uh, use and legalization of cannabis from all the way back then? Well, you know, on our first album, we were putting out our vibe. We believe in cannabis and legalization, all that stuff. And um, so the first album was was sort of set off with songs like Stone is the Way of the Walk and, and Light Another. Um, and as we start gaining momentum, groups like Normal start getting wind of, of who we are. You know, they, they um, offer us spokesman positions and, and things like this and, and, uh, and being ambassadors to movement and you know that led to meeting up with high times and doing the high times cover and you know creating a, a long lasting friendship with my man Steve Bloom and, and getting information from Ed Rosenthal 
immediately, you know, we would meet Jack Herrera, who opened our eyes to everything. And because of the things that we learned from him and him being our mentor in the cannabis world, that, you know, we took information from his book, um, Emperor Wears No Clothes, and applied those, those, uh, some of that information in our line of on that last Sunday album. So he was a big influence on us and his, you know, his knowledge basically is, is what carried us through and, and took us to the next steps of being advocates and, and activists and, and um, you know, all obviously cannabis users and stuff like that. We were much more educated about what we were talking about and what we were trying to accomplish in terms of turning people on to it. So, you know, we, we owe a lot to Jack Herrera, but, you know, he, he his, yeah, it was basically his knowledge that, that you know, inspired us to put, put that sort of information on that Black Monday album. So on the fourth album, you dropped Dr. Green Thumb, and it became a huge underground concert anthem with all your community. We'd love for you to recount what it was like to go in that morning and, and write the lyrics so quickly, and also from an entrepreneurship lesson, what it means to stay true to your vision, even if partners or a label might try to steer that off course. Well, that song was destiny. When I look at it now, you know, at the time I thought, wow, this is, this is a great beat, and something just, I had written a sketch for a radio show that we were doing previously to making that album. We were, uh, Bobo and myself were working at uh, 92.3 to Beat, and we wrote a sketch called Dr. Green Thumb. And it was basically a sketch of, you know, like an infomercial type sketch, which obviously makes the album. We eventually make that the intro for the song. But when I got to the studio um, and I heard that beat, boom, the, the, the theme, Dr. Green Thumb, it just hit me. And, and uh, I started writing right away. I think I was 10 in the morning, I got this and Muggs knew that I was going to love that beat so he left it up he left the reels up mm-hmm. gave the, the engineer instruction to play me that song immediately when I walked in so I started working on it you know before anybody got there I was probably done writing it in 45 minutes and done dropping it in about an hour and a half or something an hour 15 minutes and uh, I, I remember specifically Sony hearing that and thinking it was great but they wanted me to change the lyrics and and make it not about weed and make it more like insane in the brain mm-hmm. and uh, I said no you know I said we already got an insane in the brain this song is what it is and, and I'm not going to change it and they're like alright well you know I don't think we're going to get much radio on it it's a great song but you know radio still isn't playing weed songs I said well you know that's it's just a chance we'll have to take. And, um, you know, they didn't, the record company didn't know the song was going to be a cult, you know, anthem or whatever, or, or one of those, those those underground anthems. They had no clue. They thought it was a waste of the song. And this became one of our bigger singles in Europe. Then it trickled down here to the United States. I mean, it never really caught on the radio, but when we played this song live, it would give the same energy off as, as an insane in the brain. Like people would just go nuts for it. And it became one of our our, our main anthems. And, and uh, you know, fast forward into now California is, is uh, now a, a medical state. You know, I thought 
that would be a cool, you know, cool brand name for me to come into the cannabis market. Yeah, definitely. Which was my intention, which was my intention all along, and I thought, well, if Cypress isn't going to come into it right now, then I'm coming into it with Dr. Greenthumb, and uh, it's it, because of the music and the familiarity of our fans that are cannabis users. That, I mean, it, it was just a no-brainer, and uh, it, it sort of took us a while to get momentum. You because know, we've always been in cultivation and always been into the cannabis stuff, but now we have brands to put, you know, what we were producing behind, and um, that's, that's where it all started from, that song, and eventually, you know, bringing that into the cannabis industry and, and uh, making it my brand. So many say that you're only as good as your last hit in music with creatives and business in general, but Dr. Green Thumb's dispensaries are popping up all over California and you're dropping mouth-watering strains and flavors. How did the legendary team come together for our readers and can you tell us the journey of what went into making the uh, tasty and potent insane OG? Yeah, well, you know, it, I think our team has been together since 1995, 94-95, my partner Kenji Shima mm-hmm. and I, you know, we, we sort of started off together in, in, in cannabis uh, lane, you know, learning how to grow and stuff like that. Me being on the road all the time, I couldn't put as much time into the grow ops as, as he did, you know what I mean? And so he became our master, our master cultivator. Mm-hmm. And so him and I slowly but surely, you know, start, you know, making our way into cannabis cannabis world now for a couple of years we sort of separated and he went his own way and I went fine and I started doing jet fuel with with, uh, with another partner um, that eventually sort of went away because we had some creative differences in where we, I thought the brand needed to go and, and things like that so you know they, they, they went did their own thing and Kenji and I unfortunately because we had another business together that had nothing to do with cannabis called Be Real TV and we had been partners in that forever, you know, since we started the, the platform with live streaming and, and, you know, doing some of the first podcasts before they were called podcasts and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. You know, KJ and I have, have had a long history. So, you know, when, when we both were free from whatever obligations we had with other people, we decided to let's partner back up and, you know, make the Make our make the the green thumb brand bigger, and let's call our you know our our uh, our strain brand insane. You know, as a tribute to Cypress Hill and whatnot. So, um, you know, we've been together cultivating probably about twenty five years or so, and uh, you know, we were maybe one of the first six seven guys in Southern California that had the the, the OG Kush cut which was, you know, to become one of the biggest strains in Southern California, and maybe even the world for a, for a time, because it was so sought out and highly, you know, highly touted as the, the, the best cannabis in the world, up until maybe 10, you know, 10 years ago, where all the, the, the exotic flavor um, blast started happening. Mm-hmm. Um, OG was the premier flower, and uh, we were one of the ones who had it. And Kenji being, you know, one of the best at it, 
produced under the best cushions out of California for a long time. So, you know, our, our reputations as as cultivators and ambassadors, you know, was constantly on the rise. And we've just been putting it together, you know, piecing our team together little by little, getting all the right guys that we feel can represent our company, our brand, our strength, and, and uh, so far we, we've, uh, we've accomplished uh, phase one. <laughs> Congratulations on everything. How many dispensaries now are in, in California? Uh, right now we have six, but we're, uh, or seven actually. Um, we just opened up in San Diego and we're looking at a few other spots now. But the main, um, the main objective is after we get the spots that we feel are most important here in California, you know, the next step is um, getting into the other cannabis-friendly states like um, Michigan, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, um, Colorado, Nevada, you know, Oklahoma, everywhere that um, we can possibly plant a flag, you know, we feel we're going to do great. So that's locking down California was phase one phase two is now you know going into the different states that uh, we can plant that flag and, and give people the California experience yeah the east coast definitely needs uh, some west coast love here New York is uh, stubbornly turning around you know every year feels like 10 years but we'll almost be there yeah I mean and that, that frankly it surprises me you know being that New York is like at the forefront of a lot of things in terms of entertainment, fashion, culinary, you know, and mostly everything. And for it to be one of the last on the cannabis, um, you know, on the cannabis train here, that, that, that's just crazy, especially when you think about that High Times was based out of New York. And they do a lot of cannabis events, you know, Central Park even. Um, I remember doing this, those small clubs at Wetland, like Wetlands and stuff like that. You know, so it, it's it's a trip that you know New York is so far behind in that. When you would think they would, they're so progressive, they'd be in front of it. You know, even in, in California, you know, to to have Colorado and other states legalized before us, that was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it all eventually, but it all eventually comes around because I think you know the the, the powers that be that that run the state, they see the the, the revenue. That, that cannabis creates, and they're waiting to see what the other states do and how how they you know how they work it, and if it's successful, and how they can implement it without upsetting you know their religious voters and conservative voters. Yeah, it's so transparent. You can see the selection held against the the medicinal patients right now, and uh, I'm sure once that opens up. It's going to be uh, so interesting for people here. Tell me about the funky field tips. How how long did it take from coming up with it to putting it out there? Uh, funky field tips, um, I created, um, I think that it was probably about maybe three to four years before they actually came out. I was doing a, a deal with Laura Bongs out of Germany for a licensing deal with Cypress Hill mm-hmm. to create two lines of glass for Cypress Hill, one being an expensive collection line and the other being a more affordable line. And as we were doing that, you know, I happened to be 
in Amsterdam and I was on tour and we were rolling up in front of the in front of our hotel or maybe it was the greenhouse. I can't exactly remember that part, but we were rolling up and you know I I love smoking joints with with the tips, but those paper tips were killing me. You know, like for me I, I just I looked at it in frustration one day and said why the fuck hasn't anyone ever made any glass tips? Yes. Enjoy the blood. And I thought, okay, when I get home, I'm going to call my glass blower friends that I know, and I'm going to make prototypes, and I'm going to try to put these out. And um, being that I was doing that deal with Roar, I, I presented them to them and said, hey, look, we're already doing this, this bond deal. What about these tips? And at first, they were reluctant. They were like, oh, I don't know about We've never, we've never, you know, done something like this. We don't know if people will buy them. I'm like, I don't care if you know people will buy them. I want to do them, and I know that people will buy them. You know, because I, I know from my experience, once we made the first prototype, because I made a prototype with a totally, completely different glass blower, and then I presented it to Roar. And, and so I, I had at least a few weeks of, of R&D with it, and I knew, oh, I gotta make some more prototypes because I'm not smoking another fucking joint without one of these. Right, right. That if that happens, and I knew that if that 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 if that happened to me, it was gonna happen to others. So you know, I had the prototypes made, and I sent them to him in Germany, um, uh, and they made their prototypes, which were better than the ones that I had made. And we agreed that those ones should be the ones that hit the market. And uh, we put them out, and it was slow going at first. You know, it was a new product, and, and you know, people were like, "What the fuck are these? How do you use them? How do you roll with them? Mm-hmm. How do you stick your joints in them?" And, and people didn't get that you put it in the joint, not that you put the joint in the tip. So it took a minute for us to educate people on what they were and how you use them, how you clean them, how you roll with them, and all that. But once they caught, I mean, they went. You know, and now there's a collector community that, that treats all our 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 custom tips, our colored coordinated tips, like baseball cards. You know, there's like a, a collection, a collector's trader market, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I never thought that <laughs> that would be happening. You know, I thought we'd sell some tips and, you know, people would have a different smoking experience. But, uh, you know, they went beyond that. Um, and, and, and that was great. You know, so now to see people that have knocked off product and you know you see them everywhere now and just you know even though it's kind of shitty that people knocked our idea off and you know put it in their products and, and, and all that shit it just went to show you that we were ahead of the game you know and we still we still make these tips we're ahead of everybody in, in, in terms of that but it just it, it went to show you my, my theory on that once people smoke with a smoking tip um they weren't going to go back. Absolutely. Keep those tips and, and uh, you know, now these days people are spoiled. They will not, you know, your, your average smoker that, that isn't necessarily educated about the tips, they'll smoke those paper tips, you know, because that's all they know. But once they get a hold of the funky tip, tips, it's over. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I remember when they first started catching there was certain glass blowers like, Oh man, you didn't create that. Those are created in the market forever and blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, find one. Show me one. I issue a challenge to 
any of you motherfuckers should just show me a tip. It's not wood. It's not plastic. It predates my tip. Sure. And not one of them could do it. And not one of them could do it. They were just mad because someone that didn't blow glass created something that they could have easily done. And then after the fact that I brought it out, that's when you had all these guys coming out of nowhere, you know, making their own tips because, I mean, you know, some of these guys with glass blowers, they can totally do that. And I never went after them, you know. I, I felt like, why go after them? You know, just let them do their thing, and whatever they do, people are going to put it on my back anyway and say, well, that's the real idea. That's the cypress. So, you know, I, I never really took too much offense to it or, or got mad about it. I just thought, yeah, I had a great idea. Here it is. Speaking of glass, we saw that... Uh... Dr. Green Thumbs Times Student Glass uh, Gravity Hookah on your IG originally because we follow what yeah. you do and I mean it looks so elegant and smooth. Tell us about that partnership and it's what it's like to use that. Seth Rogen was the first guy that they that they filmed with it and he blew it up and uh, I think they realized that they had something there mm-hmm. and I think they you know what their their um, idea was to get it in the hands of influencers or, you know, people that have a big influence, right, that aren't necessarily influencers, but like real celebrities that smoke weed, right? And, um, you know, I think they were working with G-Pen, and I was working with G-Pen on some of our Dr. Green Thumb collaborative products, like our, like the, the Dash and the Connect and, and the Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were talking about that, they were like, well, what about doing a collaboration with Sunday? And, and, uh, like yeah sure you know send send me send me over the sample of, of the product and let us let us fuck with it see you know see if, if if I like it I'm definitely down if I don't like it I'm not going to do it because I'm not putting my name on shit that I would not use um, and so they send it over and we immediately start fucking with it but we're not fucking with the flower because you know I you know I stopped hitting glass balls a long time ago just because I feel like the at some point the hit gets stale and I don't want a stale hit ever so I stick to smoking the joint mm-hmm. so what we did was was uh, we took one of the connects that we have and we, we adapted it onto um, onto the stunden because they have an adapter for that and we were using the stunden gravity bong for concentrates as opposed to flour mm. and it was so awesome so you know that actually became part of our Dr. Green thumb podcast where you know there's a there's a portion of the show or the last half hour where we take questions and shout outs and comments from the crowd or from the fans or whatever and a lot of times they'll be like well we want three flips for be real meaning they want me to hit that sending glass and take three flips of the glass and so that became a thing and you know when when we started highlighting that type of shit on, on our podcast um, people started running to our dispensary to buy those stunning glasses. I mean, we cannot keep them in fucking stock. You know, um, people use them for flour, though. I think we're cool to use it for flour, but, you know, for us, we, we use it for the concentrate, you know, and it fucking works amazing. And if anybody was going to do it, I would recommend to do it with the concentrate, do it with the connect. Mm-hmm. And there it goes. It, it's lovely. Bobo. Um, he, he hit the first record with him and he did 10 flips and then one of our other guys did 
15 flips, and then one of our other guys, one of our other co-hosts did 20 flips. I mean, it's just, it's, it's devastating, but um, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cool experience. People love that shit, and they love seeing people testing their metal, trying to do like 10, 20 flips and stuff like that. I'm good with three. It looks like three would be a good start. Definitely. We cover a lot in food, from clean eating and meal prep to fine dining and splurges. We love the show Bon Appetit on Viceland that you hosted in 19. It was groundbreaking. What's your take on finer cooking with cannabis and edibles in general? I think it's awesome because it gives people that are maybe a little uh, intimidated by smoking it a chance to have the experience through through culinary, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so, some of the things that were made, you know, a lot of people that, that aren't educated in the cannabis world that maybe are curious and stuff like that, that was the perfect show for them because if they didn't want to smoke, they could find ways to infuse, mm-hmm. and you can infuse any meal, you can infuse any dessert, any app. You know, and, and that show was sort of like a guideline to doing that. And since then, there's been like three other fucking shows that knocked that show off that um, that uh, are doing relatively the same thing. But I think shows like that are important, whether it's us doing it, whether it's um, Khalees doing it, or whoever else. Um, it's educating people and showing people a different way. Because not everybody wants to smoke, you know, it's kind of loud. Um, when you're smoking joints or blunts or, you know, bongs, it's, it's loud. And some people, you know, are more low-key than that. And so you have a significant amount of people that would rather do edibles. And this is, this is one way that they can create their own edibles. If, if they have any culinary skills or, you know, or at least to know that that exists, that they can find it somewhere, that there are meal prep places that infuse food. And uh, whether it's CBD, full spectrum, or just THC, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it, I think shows like that are important. You know, how the the the, the, the lifetime that, that they last on the air, you know, that's subjective. Um, you know, I, I think we got caught up with life while they were in a in a transitional time. They were coming off of HBO, and I think they needed more room for their news their news. Um, their news platforms and whatnot. So, you know, Bong Appetit didn't, didn't get brought back. But, you know, it, it was great while well, it lasted. I had fun with Vanessa and Miguel. They're great people. Vanessa sometimes comes and, and co-hosts on, on a Dr. Green Thumb podcast and all that stuff. stuff. So we, we still stay in contact and we're constantly talking about maybe creating another show somewhere down the line. But more, I think, dinner party conversational style rather than competitive cooking and stuff like that. That was fun to see people doing that. But I think there's a bigger conversation to be had and, you know, a little bit more education to be spilled out there, you know, if, if we were to do it like a dinner party style. But we're working on it. We're, we're, we're going to see. I think I look forward to that. So in the age of COVID and smoking vaping, it's more important than ever to elevate your workout and wellness game. What kind of things are you doing to work out? Are you hitting the gym, doing stuff at home, or are you yeah. doing more adventure fitness outside? 
Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a part of my culture. It's a part of me, you know. I, I, I made that to be a part of my daily ritual, you know. Like, I pray every day, I work out. Mm-hmm. Like, I smoke every day, I work out, you know, because realistically, doing what we do um, in terms of performances, it's always a, a high-energy show, and we're always trying to give 110%, so we got to stay in shape for that. And, you know, just staying in shape for ourselves, for our families, you know, trying to be as healthy as possible, maintaining uh, a proper diet and and uh, and a workout schedule and stuff like that to keep, to you know, to keep uh, healthy and keep fit and put the right fuel in our system. And the fact that we're smoking cannabis the way we, we do is, is also therapeutic and, and healing benefit from that. So, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons we're still able to do it on the level that we do it in terms of going out there and, and performing um, at the level that we do, whether it's a festival or a, or a small club or, a, or an arena or, you know, whatever. We're always ready for it because we maintain to keep busy, to keep active, um, and we're now <laughs> in our in our fucking fifties, you know, we're watching what we put in our body and stuff like that. I mean, sure, we still have a good time when we splurge now and then, but you know, we've always been guys um, in terms of Cypress Hill. We've always been guys that were in sports and into competing in these sports. Like you know, we would play a lot of basketball back in the day and a lot of football. Mm-hmm. Said dog and mug played a lot of baseball and stuff like that. And, you know, we still, Muggs and I trained in martial arts and boxing and stuff like that. So, you know, we're constantly, constantly finding some way to keep busy and training and, and, and uh, keep ourselves active aside from, you know, performing on the stage because that's a workout itself. But, you know, we work out to do that just like an athlete works out to, to play their perspective sport. So we, we feel like that's really important. And what I'm glad to see is a lot of the golden era um, rappers starting to, you know, get in the gym, take care of themselves, and, you know, investing the time and energy and, you know, putting it back in their body. Mm-hmm. You know, see Method Man fucking workout grind. Crazy. Jim Jones always had a crazy workout grind. Uh, Action Bronson, I gotta tip my hat to my bro because he's working his ass off these days. So it, it, it's great to see guys taking care of themselves like that, man. And you know, us at Cypress Hill, you know, we've always maintained to do that. You know, so it, it's it's a part of our culture. It's who we are. You know, when we're on the road, we work out. You know, we'll all meet up at the gym and we'll get our pre-show workout or our day off work our show day off workout and then back on the grind you know we don't we don't stop that this is uh it's important to us so we want we want to be fit we don't want to be those dudes that are like puffing and puffing and can't can't complete the show you know sure uh is there any news or teasers on the upcoming cypress hill album yeah we'll be um we'll be popping that off in uh, march of next year uh we have a one of the one of the singles from that album coming out pretty soon. Uh, we released Champion Champion Sound 
early for the MLB uh, video game and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But there's another one um, called Open Your Mind. And uh, we look forward to people hearing that. And I believe we're going to be making a video to that pretty soon. Um, Just uh, because it's going to be the lead single and whatnot. So there's that. And, uh, you know, there's much more music ahead of of me. I got so much more coming up in the next in the next year and a half. It's crazy, but, you know, it's all crazy. Well, that's great. Congrats on everything. I mean, looking at everything, preparing for this, the entrepreneurship lessons for people of just being yourself, doing something different, working in a mass market, doing what you love. I mean, those are huge lessons for everybody. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing that anyone should take away from this is, is, is you know, you get what you put into it. If you go halfway, all you're gonna do is get halfway. If you put it all in and you go all in and dedicate yourself to it, you can get wherever you wanna go. Obviously, you gotta have talent and a little bit of luck and a whole lot of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that you will do it. But you know, you gotta put the work behind it. And when time is right, you know, you meet the right people, the doors open up go through that door and it's all about what you do from there you know you can take yourself as far as you want to go and so you know I would just say to anyone you know believe in yourself believe in what you try to do and go at it 100 from the insights of today's episode of Tribe Goals. Tribe Goals is a member of the Multimedia Podcast Network, Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media and Athleisure Mac. Make sure to follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google Play, SoundCloud, Himalaya, and Stitcher Premium. Visit us at athleisurestudio.com backslash Tribe Goals and follow us on Instagram at tribe.goals to see new episodes of hashtag tribe goals as well as other shows we have launched throughout our network today's episode of tribe goals is hosted by me paul farkas executive produced by kimmy smith and myself our shows are mixed by athleisure studio team and our theme music rough and deep is performed by jiggling we'll be back next time with our next tribe goals guest 